Hi, this is Alex Gutenberg for Public. Today I'm joined by Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who is a professor of medicine, economics, and health research policy at Stanford University. Hi, Jay. Hi, Alex. Nice to talk with you. It's really nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I really appreciate it. Congratulations on your major victory. I am over the moon excited about Missouri versus Biden. I think, um, okay, I'm totally biased, Alex, but I think it's one of the most important First Amendment cases in in American history, and certainly the last fifty years. Uh, I mean, and and definitely of the of the of the social media age. Can you tell? Can you tell us what the uh, what just happened in the case? Sure. So uh, we filed this case about a year ago. Uh, I'm, I'm a plaintiff in this case. Uh, the the allegation is that uh, that that the Biden administration had been using its power to coerce and essentially force social media companies to censor speech it didn't like. Censor speech, uh, deplatform people, force people off of, off off of these platforms. Uh, you know, like like Twitter, Facebook, and so on. Uh, and we we uh, what we found that what the what the judge ruled this last week is that uh, in fact what we were saying is true that 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 the Biden administration has indeed been abusing its power violating the American first amendment and it ordered the the Biden Biden folks to stop contacting uh, social media companies with an, uh, for for these kinds of censorship activities right so they're not allowed to to talk to they're not allowed to t- contact Google they're not they meaning like uh, the, the Biden White House um, the the CDC, the, uh, the 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 State Department, uh, you know, the, all of these like organization agencies that have been involved in this vast censorship industrial complex are no longer allowed to have regular meetings and other contact with social media companies where the purpose is censorship of protected speech. I mean, they can still contact them for like you know if there's criminal activities or or whatnot. That's a, that's that's still legal, but they're not allowed to contact them to tell them you know censor Jay or or toss Alex Berenson off the platform. And a lot of people probably already know who you are, but can you can you tell us your background uh, for those who might not know, and also how you got involved in the case in the first place? Sure. Uh, so I, I'm Jay Bhattacharya. I'm a professor in the medical school at Stanford. I've been here for I don't know 37 years and 20 some years as a, as a faculty member. Um, I have been uh, pretty heavily involved in the COVID policy fight. Uh, as one of the co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, which in October 2020 called for a uh, you know ending lockdowns, um, and what I, I the way I got involved in the case is by um, is by this uh, essentially what happened was that the 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 Great Barrington Declaration you know called for focus protection ending lockdowns. It's it, it I noticed that almost immediately after we put it out, there was this like weird suppression campaign. Like you couldn't. You couldn't find us on Google in many countries, right? We were on page seven. And the, all of all of the the detractors were came before us. We put the Facebook page up, and it was taken down. Um, and uh, you know, when I joined Twitter, uh, I, I mean, it turns out I was put on a trends blacklist. You know, uh, that's something that uh, that Barry Weiss discovered when she was at uh, at the Twitter headquarters that I'd been put on this trends blacklist. And the question was why? Uh, why? Why were the tech companies working uh, to suppress? The spread of a, a, an idea, like what you know, the argument that we should open schools is somehow so dangerous that 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 they shouldn't be spread. Um, and so, w- when the Missouri and Louisiana Attorney General's offices filed suit against the case, they contacted me and asked me if I'd be interested in uh, being a plaintiff. 
So I wrote an affidavit describing some of the ways I'd been censored, including, by the way, YouTube, uh, for a roundtable I did with with Governor DeSantis, where I said that we shouldn't have child masking. That also got pulled off YouTube. Um, and uh, I mean, I was I was really excited to be able to potentially see, get a peek on the inside of what was happening inside the government that led to these kinds of censorship activities. And that's exactly what's happened. We found out exactly what was going on. What would you say are some of the major discoveries uh, of specific things you found through the lawsuit? Well, the uh, the so first, look the 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 discovery was actually pretty broad and comprehensive. Um, we got to read the emails of from a dozen federal agencies, including the uh, the uh, DHS, uh, uh, you know, Department of Homeland Security. CDC, the U.S. Surgeon General's Office, um, the State Department. There's this organization called CISA, C-I-S-A, that that is sort of coordinating a lot of the censorship activities of the U.S. federal government, um, and the White House itself. There's a man named Rob Flaherty, who was, I think was deputy to President President Biden. Um, he was put in charge of this the censorship within the White House. We got to read his emails, conversation uh, like emails directly threatening. Folks at Facebook that if they that you would, you would tell say okay, here's a list of folks to ban here's a list of ideas that we want banned immediately uh, and if you don't do it we're gonna we're gonna regulate you out of existence more or less that was that was not just some, sometimes it wasn't just implied he actually says you know we we have this regulatory power I'm talking to people at the highest level about you guys I mean he would threaten um, if you if, if they didn't comply and they did comply as a consequence of these threats so uh, you know for instance there was a parody account of President Biden that he that that I guess the Biden administration is quite upset about he threatened um, Rob Flaherty that an email threatens them threatens the Facebook folks. I think it was a, a Facebook and Twitter of folks, and says if you don't if you don't remove this account, uh, you know we're going to talk about people at, at the highest levels. And then an hour later, the account was gone. Um, so you have like the government directly, st- you know, violating free speech rights of, of regular people on protected speech in black and white. That's what we discovered. Now, we also got to depose Tony Fauci for eight hours, which was which was interesting. Um, I mean, uh, you know, and he he, he got asked all about all, all he said he denied everything about his, working on censorship. But he it was interesting. Like he, he yeah, he got asked about like a whole bunch of things on 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 pronouncements he'd made about, uh, you know, masks and, and, and so on. And he couldn't recall. He, he said, I don't recall 175 times or something uh, to basic factual questions, uh, including things were like easily checkable. Right. Where it's pretty sure he, he was lying about it. So, you know, he was asked, for instance, um, whether he knows my colleague, Johnny Anides, who's a very famous professor here at Stanford, who used to work at the NIH. John knows Tony. Tony should know him. Uh, but uh, Fauci, in an email he wrote, uh, that he basically, you know, he, he said he couldn't recall whether he knew Johnny Anides at all to be involved in suppressing him or something. Um, I mean, it was anyways, it was pretty broad discovery. And we discovered it was essentially uh, a confirmation of the idea that there there is a vast censorship industrial complex and that the Biden administration had been deploying it, militarizing it to suppress American free speech. Didn't Fauci also say that he couldn't recall having discussed the Great Barrington Declaration or trying to suppress it, despite being on an email with Francis Collins <laughs> about doing just that? Uh, yeah, he said, I didn't recall. Uh, I don't recall. I mean, um, four days after we wrote the Great Barrington Declaration, October 2020, Francis Collins wrote Tony Fauci. And Tony Fauci, and this is from FOIA emails we we saw, 
uh, calling me a fringe epidemiologist and uh, Martin Kuldorf and Sunetta fringe epidemiologist, and then uh, Collins called for a devastating takedown of the premises of the declaration. And Fauci responded a couple of days later, I mean, actually, pre, I think even the next day, um, with an email to a link to a Wired magazine article, which I guess was this form of a devastating takedown. Um, and then there were all these like, you know, I, I mean, he, he clearly remembered what the Great Panic Declaration was. He clearly remembered yeah. who, uh, who, who, I mean, like he, he was, he, he, uh, he essentially uh, maligned us in the press over and over again. Um, I, and so then he's like, in the deposition, he says he doesn't remember who we are. doesn't, doesn't, you know, doesn't recall us, doesn't recall any of the, his activities around this. I mean, it's just disingenuous. It just can't be true. Uh, how do you feel about him denying that? I mean, having been involved in a campaign to defame you and then gaslighting essentially <laughs> <laughs> about it. Uh, you know, I, I, Alex, I think that it's, it's, I mean, I don't, I don't care to be personally maligned. It's not, but that's, I think that that's not the most important thing to me. Um, the key thing is that uh, this is a part of a pattern of his. When he is faced with credible scientists that disagree with him about some some idea or some fact like you know from and you can go go back to long before covid but uh, let's let's just stick to covid uh with but uh, for instance when faced with the possibility that in fact covid started as a lab leak lab leak with work funded by the niaid and signed off on by tony fauci um he he's responded by essentially trying to destroy the law the the reputations of the scientists and other people who who made these st statements about his his work and his problem his the problems that he might have caused, um, uh, it's a pattern, right? Rather than engaging honestly with uh, you know the, the, these these scientists, credible scientists who disagree with him, you know it's, it's dis disagreement is normal. Uh, instead, he's trying to use the power that he has as the head of the NAID. To, to malign us and, and uh, destroy our reputations. Why would he do that? I mean, the purpose is is really it's it's because he's such has has this like vast power uh, over the reputations of scientists as the head of the NAID. Uh, it what it, the purpose isn't even like me. The real purpose is to silence other scientists, to to sort of threaten their careers, to threaten them from saying things that he doesn't like because they contradict his ideas. Um, it's it's a it's an abuse of power more than anything else. What do you think should have? Or sorry, how do you think the debate should have gone down on well, all of I mean, these issues? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the normal scientific process involves dispute often on on new 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 things, new areas, new ideas. Um, and especially for something like this, where, uh, where like COVID, the COVID response, uh, where basically there's no one person or even a small group of people with one, or one discipline that has the sufficient expertise to be able to say, for instance, you know, what are the psychological effects of children with closing schools? What are the effects of what are the what are the what are the epidemiological um, uh, consequences of of flattening the curve? Are, can, are, will hospital systems be overwhelmed? Uh, how effective is the vaccines at, at stopping disease spread? How are there are there safety signals in in the statistical systems for uh, for uh, for you know side effects of the vaccine? Um, you know, there, there's just a a very wide range of disciplines needed to in order to an expertise needed to be able to talk about these issues. 
Um, you know, so it's not just virologists and epidemiologists that should have been involved, or even just or immunologists, epidemiologists, and virologists. It should have been a, a pretty much every single aspect of of human society, of human of of our of our, of our health, uh, our, our well being has been implicated by these measures. And so we needed a pretty much a, an all of society, all 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 experts of all disciplines involved, and there was inevitably going to be disputes. Someone like Tony Fauci, he's the head of the NIAID, this National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, his job is to fund excellent science. His job isn't to referee the context of uh, the, the, the outcome of these scientific debates, but it's to make sure that these scientific discussions happen with the relevant expertise. Um, so what should have happened was a lot of disputation, a lot of people saying, no, no, this doesn't make sense or that doesn't make sense. Um, and that, ex that disputation should have happened in an even-handed way. He should have worked to platform us, not to, to suppress us. And, uh, that, and that's, you know, it's, and it's not just us. It's just the, there's just the vast array of scientists that he disdained and, and, and pushed aside. He should have worked to have more voices talking uh, among scientists, not fewer, and not to work to control the conversation. What do you think was the effect of all of the censorship that occurred? What were the consequences uh, I mean, I think we, it's so vast as to to be able to. I, I mean, I think we could be here literally for days, and we wouldn't get through them all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, just to just to pick at some of them, would would, would schools have closed for as long? I, I don't see how it's possible, right? The evidence I think I saw was already very early on by summer of 2020. It was it was clear to me, overwhelmingly clear, that school closures were a mistake in spring of 2020. There was evidence out of Sweden, Iceland. Um, and if an open conversation had happened uh, about the, that evidence without this kind of suppression in summer of 2020, I don't think schools would have closed in the fall of 2020. They didn't close in many parts of Europe as a consequence of that evidence. Um, the, the, the vaccines, would the vaccine mandates have happened? I don't see how they could have happened, right? So a necessary condition for the vaccine mandates is that there be some evidence that the vaccine stops you from getting and spreading COVID. Because if, if, uh, if, if the vaccine doesn't stop you from getting and spreading COVID, well, then the vaccine is just a matter of a private benefit, not a public benefit. Public meaning like my vaccine has no effect on you. I can still get and spread COVID even if I'm vaccinated or not vaccinated. Um, so it would have just been a, a, a matter of a pri private benefit. Is it beneficial to me to get the vaccine or not? And that, then, so the right policy should have been then uh, you recommend to your doctor, go see your doctor, if see, ask if the vaccine is right for you. I don't see how if we'd allow, if there hadn't been this social media censorship, this pressure, this sort of like creation of this, like, if you say the vaccine doesn't stop transmission, you're an anti-vaxxer. That's essentially the implication of this of this, this censorship effort. I don't see if there had been an open discussion how the vaccine mandates would have actually been uh, implemented or popular. There would have been a tremendous outcry against them because the facts about the, the vaccine's efficacy would have been much more clear. And also on the flip side of that, I think a lot of the vaccine hesitancy that we're seeing with the other vaccines could have been avoided um, because people don't no longer trust public health. Like imagine if there had been a, a robust discussion within public health about the efficacy of these vaccines. And people, I don't think, would have distrusted public health. They would have saw public health as honestly grappling with complicated questions. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I mean, if, if I'm going to sum this all up, I think a huge amount of the bad policies we followed, many of which I think caused 
tremendous harm to the poor, to children, to the vulnerable, uh, to the working class populations would have been avoided had there not been the censorship effort. Do you feel vindicated now? Uh, I mean, I've, you've been fighting this battle for three and almost three and a half years. So, or between three and three and a half years. So do you feel like you've been vindicated? Does the injunction make you feel that way? Or do you feel like there's still a long way to go? Uh, both, I think. <laughs> um, I think, uh, I think, um, uh, on the scientific questions, I mean, I, I think everyone got some stuff wrong. There's that, that's not, that, that's not the issue, but I think in large part, a lot of what I had been saying that the lockdowns are quite harmful, that school closures were a bad idea, that the mask mandates weren't stopping disease spread, that, that, uh, that the vaccines aren't stopping disease spread, that the vaccine mandates are a bad idea, that we should do focus protection, better focus protection of vulnerable older people, um, both with the, with the vaccines and before the vaccines, um, that that uh, that that the generalized lockdowns were causing poor, uh, huge increases in poverty uh, in, in in the poorest parts of the world. Uh, all of those things are, are, have come to pass. I think I think there's broad, pretty much broad agreement now that those those were fa- are facts. Um, uh, and you know, which is not to say I got everything right. I mean, there, there's there are things I got wrong about Ukraine. I like I mean, we. we we can go through that list too. It's not, not as fun. Um, uh, uh, the, but the uh, but the but the other uh, but the other side. But uh, as far as like where do we have left to go? And I think I think the idea that 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 this debate wasn't happening fairly that I've also been vindicated on. That is actually the upshot of the Missouri versus Biden case. And in fact, there wasn't a fair debate. In fact, the government used un, uh, il, I think illegally and unconstitutionally used its power to put its thumb on the scale of this debate, which should have been an open and fair debate. Um, which, which I, you know, I think we would have won much earlier had there had it been a fair debate, um, an open debate. So, uh, the, uh, the, the um, I, actually, one note before I talk talk about what the future is, uh, I should say a lot of the, a lot of the, the reasons why I ended up being right on those things has nothing to do with how smart I am. Actually, it has to do with, um, like, the, take the Great Barrington Declaration. We were just restating an old pandemic plan, a pandemic plan that had been used for a century. So we were standing on the shoulders of giants like me, Martin, and Sinatra. We're not. We didn't. These are not original ideas to us. They're ideas that that a century of folks in public health had 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 and used effectively in managing respiratory virus pandemics in the past. Um. So, uh, yeah. So I think that's 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 the reason we ended up being right. This it's also funny because the uh, it was this weird lockdown idea, which is a departure from standard public health. That wouldn't have withstood this t- a debate had it been had it been fairly had. That 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 was that that was the departure. That was the thing I think that was that the, the censorship allowed to happen. Now going forward, there the the damage is just catastrophic. I mean, how, just again, let's take schools. The learning loss numbers uh, are just devastating, Alex. As I'm sure you know, I mean, you you were a teacher, um, and it just must be heartbreaking to watch. How do you fix that? Like we've done this tremendous damage to a generation of our kids for for what purpose um how do you i mean i think we have to do an all hands on deck trying to trying to figure out how to try to get some of it back if it's possible the psychological damage to our children is tremendous um the uh the the damage to the trust in public health is is i mean i think it's generational i don't know how you fix how do you how you fix that the, the economic harm to the poor uh, uh of the of especially the poorest people in the poorest parts of the world um, again, I think we need we need a, uh, we need to like 
uh, work very hard to fix that. It's going to take a lot of minds, a lot of really bright people with uh, thinking with open minds toward this. A lot of regular folks just uh, uh, insisting that that these kinds of these these problems get addressed. And um, on the case itself, narrowly on Missouri versus Biden itself, what we need there is is we need a. Uh, we need the courts to finalize this ruling. Right now, we have a preliminary injunction against the censorship industrial complex, which is a great positive step. But the Biden administration has appealed it to the Fifth Circuit, uh, federal um, uh, Fifth Circuit, and they're claiming that if they don't have the right to censor, if they don't have the ability to censor, that the, that the preliminary injunction, which prevents them from doing it, uh, social media, that it's that the public is endangered. The courts need to reject that idea out of hand. It's absolute nonsense. The, the, if, the, if the federal government needs the right to violate the First Amendment in order to keep the, the public safe, then there's something wrong with the administration. Uh, there's no good argument for the, the Biden administration to have that, that power that is obviously unconstitutional. It's a direct violation of the American First Amendment. But even worse, it's a, it's a violation of our, our social you know, sort of civic religion. Like you really, I mean, I thought growing up that everyone agreed. It wasn't a controversial thing that, that the government should not have that kind of power. Um, I think we need to reject the politics of uh, that leads um, you know, anyone to, to, to be in a position, anyone, especially anyone in power to lead to a position where they think they ought to have that kind of power over, over speech and discourse. It's too dangerous. You've reached the end of this episode of the free version of Public's podcast. To access the full version, become a paying subscriber at public.substack.com.